What I hope members will think about is what do these facts mean for the future of our country? What do these facts mean in terms of what Americans should expect from the President of the United States? Are we prepared to say that asking a foreign nation now to intervene in our elections is something that is a perk of the office of the presidency? I don't think we can allow that to be the new normal acceptable in any way, shape, or form. We're finally all in agreement. The goal was to bend Kiev until it broke. No military aid, no visit to the White House until the president of Ukraine went on television and announced his government would investigate Donald Trump's political enemies. Most of us have known that all along. But until recently, Republicans tried to deny it. Now, as the impeachment inquiry enters a more open phase, they've moved on. Their new approach is to make excuses for him. Excuse one, maybe Trump wasn't involved. What if all of his henchmen, Rudy Giuliani, Gordon Sondland, Mick Mulvaney, what if they had all gone rogue? One problem with that excuse is the infamous transcript of the July 25th phone call between Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, where Zelensky asks for Javelin missiles and Trump says, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Then on Wednesday, at the first public impeachment hearing, a bombshell. Last Friday, a member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. That was Bill Taylor, our interim ambassador to Ukraine and one of House Democrats' first two witnesses, who detailed in dramatic testimony how Trump's shadow diplomacy to extort Zelensky played out on the ground. Taylor also brought this new information to light. While Ambassador Volker and I, Volker and I visited the front, this member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland. Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yerbach. Following that meeting, in the presence of my staff, at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kyiv. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. At the time I gave my deposition on October 22nd, I was not aware of this information. I'm including it here for completeness. So much for the idea that Trump wasn't involved then. But what about excuse two? Here's Republican Congressman Mark Meadows. The, the aid was held up for two reasons, I can tell you. One is, is the president has a deep-rooted concern about corruption. <laughs> okay, yes, it's funny to pretend Donald fucking Trump cares about corruption. But even if you ignore Trump's resorts and his cronies and his secret tax returns and just focus on this Ukraine business, it's ridiculous. Trump didn't mention corruption to Zelensky at all, but he did say the word Biden three times. And Trump definitely couldn't name a single official or oligarch who's a force for corruption in Ukraine. Here's Democratic Congressman Jim Himes questioning State Department official George Kent. Mr. Kent, as you look at this whole mess, Rudy Giuliani, President Trump, in your opinion, was this a comprehensive and whole of government effort to end corruption in Ukraine? Referring to the requests in July. Exactly. 
Uh, I would not say so. No, sir. Yeah, I don't. I don't think President Trump was trying to end corruption in Ukraine. I think he was trying to aim corruption in Ukraine at Vice President Biden and at the 2020 election. All right. So excuse two is admittedly weak. Let's test the third one. Yes, a bribe was on the table. Arms for election interference. But it went unconsummated. Zelensky never announced any investigations and the military aid flowed. Here's Congressman Sideshow Bob. There's two problems with this argument. First, from House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. Some have argued in the president's defense that the aid was ultimately released. And that is true. But only after Congress began an investigation, only after the president's lawyers learned of a whistleblower complaint, and only after members of Congress began asking uncomfortable questions about quid pro quos. Second, and relatedly, who cares if the plan fell apart? The Watergate burglars got caught in the act too, and it didn't save Nixon. And that's the argument Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro made. So. Ambassadors, is attempted murder a crime? Is attempted murder a crime? Attempted murder is a crime. Is attempted robbery a crime? Neither of us is a lawyer. but I, I, I think anybody in this room it, could answer that question. I think that's right. I'll, be, I'll go out on a limb and say, yes, it is. Is attempted extortion and bribery a crime? I don't know, sir. So that was day one. And you may be asking, why should we care so much about these desperate, bad-faith Republican arguments? Isn't impeachment supposed to be about facts and persuasion and public opinion? Here's the answer. Yes, public opinion matters, and for what it's worth, it's on the side of impeachment. Yes, presenting a simple story to voters is important, and Taylor and Kent did a pretty good job of that. Yes, unearthing new facts is key, and we got some of those too. But at the end of the day, this impeachment inquiry isn't about whether Democrats can prove that Trump committed high crimes and misdemeanors. He obviously did. It isn't a test for Democrats. It's a test for Republicans. When it's all said and done, when they're all out of excuses, will they admit that what Trump did was wrong? Or will they vote with the whole world watching to say they're fine with it? My guest today is The Washington Post's Greg Sargent. On Wednesday, he wrote that all Republican arguments, quote, lead back inevitably to the proposition that Trump was perfectly within his legitimate authority to do much of what he stands accurately accused of doing. I'm Brian Boitler, and this is Rubicon. Greg Sargent, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so I opened with a rundown of the ways Republicans are now trying to excuse Trump's conduct. Um, but they have one other defense that I didn't really mention. It's, it's related to the idea that maybe Rudy Giuliani and everyone else just went rogue. Um, and it's that Bill Taylor and, and George Kent are just low-level functionaries peddling hearsay. Um, and, you know, maybe they got the story wrong. Um, and so with the caveat that obviously that's all bullshit, um, I wonder how you think that argument fares after Wednesday's hearing and how does it fare going forward? So it gets lost in this discussion, but uh, but in the transcript of the or in in the, in the White House summary of the call, 
Trump says directly to the Ukrainian president, Rudy is my guy. He instructs the Ukrainian president to go back to Rudy and to do the plot with him. Trump essentially tells Zelensky that his ringleader in the whole scheme is Giuliani. He's his point man. And secondly, Gordon Sondland, who, uh, according to him, was taking directions straight from the president, said directly to a top Ukrainian aide that this extortion plot was live. He said to him directly. But on to your question, did they do a good job of illustrating that it wasn't hearsay? I, I think they did. I mean, you look at these two guys, and it's very clear from the bulk of their testimony. Any, even a casual watcher would look at this and see and see that uh, they were a not, you know, just sort of, you know, uh, saying all this stuff out of their ass. And b, they were very clearly saying that they were right in the middle of a situation in which Sondland and Giuliani were directly, uh, you know, controlling the entire scheme. I think there are a couple other ways, too, uh, where if Republicans continue trying to use this argument that it's going to fall apart very quickly, right? Um, one is that Gordon Sondland is going to testify, and he won't be peddling secondhand information. And he's in deep shit if he doesn't tell the truth, having already been caught in a, in a number of lies. Um, and then the other one is um, that Trump, with, with these same Republicans' full support, has instructed everyone with firsthand information to defy their subpoenas. Um, and, you know, the, the impeachment inquiry, the, the rules of the inquiry allow Republicans to request subpoenas of any witness they think might have exculpatory information pertaining to the Ukraine scandal. But they're not asking the subpoena of Rudy Giuliani or Mike Pompeo or Bill Barr or Rick Perry. Or Mick Mulvaney. Or Mick Mulvaney. Um, and, and as bad as the national media can be about taking these sort of bad faith arguments at face value, I don't think that contradiction is going to hold. If they're going to say Trump can't be convicted um, or shouldn't be impeached because, you know, we, we don't we haven't heard from people who've, who've dealt with him directly and they're dealing in hearsay, but also we're going to support the defiance of, of subpoenas from everyone who has ever talked to Trump. Right. I mean, you know, from the, from the media coverage that I've seen, even the reporters and, and commentators who are inclined to parrot the hearsay line with far too little skepticism, even they are able to cross the Rubicon, as it were, <laughs> to, um, to, to make the point that you're talking about, which is the utter, complete ludicrousness of them saying, you know, it's all hearsay and then completely closing down all the firsthand witnesses. I mean, Mulvaney is somebody who tried to get on the lawsuit with Bolton to try and get a judge to essentially say one way or the other whether he has to listen to the to the White House telling him he can't talk or to the congressional subpoena. And so even he seems to kind of want to get a story out there. Um, he may worry about his own exposure. I mean, he may wonder what's going to become of him down the line and I don't. I can't think of another reason why he went out trying to get a judge to weigh in, and then said, "Okay, fine. I'm just gonna right. do what Trump says." There's another element to how ridiculous this whole thing is when it comes to Mulvaney, though, which I, I think people haven't really teased out yet. Which is that Mulvaney was right in the middle of the freezing of the aid mm -hmm. too, which is really critical, right? Mulvaney uh, took Trump's order and froze the aid. There's probably nobody who knows more clearly exactly why Trump did that, except for potentially John Bolton, who, by the way, we haven't mentioned yet. And he's another one who has been uh, clamped down and would testify if he could. So I want to I want I want to get to both of them. Um, 
in, in pretty short order here. So, but like, let's imagine for argument's sake that re Republicans drop the secondhand information hearsay defense after next week. Um, Dolly Lithwick and I talked about this last episode um, about how some of the ways about some of the ways Trump and Republicans are are covering things up. Um, this being uh, part and parcel of that, like what happens if the witness list never grows from what it is right now, right? And we never get the notes and cables that uh, that Taylor and Kent wrote, and we and we never corroborate that Trump personally ordered the military aid withheld, and we never get a first person or documentary account of how and why uh, he, the the aid got released. Do we need those to win this kind of endless game of whack-a-mole we have to play with these uh, disingenuous defenses of Trump? Well, I don't think we do, and, and this goes back to something you've written about a whole lot and I've written about, which is that ultimately this really isn't about winning the argument in a manner that will win over Republicans, right? right. That's never going to happen, right? I mean, there was a whole... Uh, explosion today on social media over the press coverage of, uh, of of what happened yesterday with some reporters saying, "Oh, it was you know there wasn't there weren't enough fireworks. It wasn't interesting enough. There wasn't enough pizzazz. It was boring." Right? The, to me, what is so galling about that argument is that the presumption or underneath it is that if the hearings were staged in a certain way, they would quote unquote break through with Republicans. Now, if you look at what happened yesterday, right? If anything, the optics actually show you how ridiculous that argument is because it was really a well-run hearing, mm -hmm. right? And Republicans had plenty of time to float all their completely crazy conspiracy theories and so forth, and they got their chances to push the witnesses with their stuff. And still, the uniform response from Republicans was essentially completely this kind of blanket of bullshit about the entire thing. Right. So there's just literally no optic, no set of facts, no nothing. But let me just go back to, 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 the, to the broader question you're raising. Here's what we already have. We have it all firsthand anyway. We have Trump on the call directly pressuring uh, the president of Ukraine for specifically an investigation into Biden, right? He says Biden. This is something we have to keep repeating. He says Biden on the call, right? He also talks about the crazy crowd strike conspiracy theory about 2016 on the call, right? So he has said, here's what I want. Rudy publicly advertised the entire scheme going back to May. He's on record over and over and over and over saying it publicly. Sondland has now testified that he personally, not someone he talked to, but he personally directly conveyed the extortion order right to Ukraine. I'm not even sure how much further the ball could go. Mulvaney saying on the record, Trump personally told me that to freeze the aid for this very purpose, sure, that would be better. But we've got a shit ton already. I hear you, obviously. I obviously agree. Uh, that the call alone contains all the evidence you need to impeach the president. It's it is a smoking gun transcript. Um, but there's a reason Democrats are trying to draw back the lens and get more of the story before the public. Oh, absolutely. Because sure. because yeah. if if you just leave it at the transcript, then you then you you leave a whole universe of pretexts that Republicans can concoct to exonerate him. It was, you know, it was a one-off, blah, 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 and, and we're going to get into this. The quid pro quo was never consummated, so who cares anyway? Um, and uh, and 
so since you know the the, the premise of these hearings is that de- denying Republicans these avenues of escape is in some sense important, so that at the end of the process, Republicans have to either say yay or nay to what Trump did. Um, I like that's why I ask the if we never get. Um, you know, more testimony and more documents um, pertaining to the question of of the aid itself, are Democrats going to find themselves in a position where they have left one of these avenues open and that's the one that all the Republicans run down on and then we all have to pretend that there was some good faith reason for acquitting the president? Well, let me go back to what you just said about drawing back the lens because there's another reason that they're drawing back the lens that has really nothing to do with nailing down the extortion plot straight from Trump, but is also extremely important in filling in and and conveying to the American public the full depth of uh, deep corruption here, right? Mm. So what it conveyed was a really important part of the story, which a lot of us don't talk about enough, which is the fact that our international orientation was at stake here, right? So when Trump extorted Ukraine, right, and threatened a vulnerable ally at a moment of extreme vulnerability, he was really kind of taking a side in the kind of long-running international ideological battle between kleptocracy and liberal democracy, right? Mm -hmm. And he was really reorienting us away from what Biden tried to do when he was in Ukraine, which is pull Ukraine into the Western orbit, try and get it to reform in a way that it would become part of the West and act as a a liberal democratic buffer to to Putinism, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought the hearings were incredibly good at explaining that. I mean, Kent's intro was spectacularly interesting, I thought, and and detailed in that way. And and we don't talk about this element of it because obviously it's not like it it's not like a, a you know a, a smoking gun uh, act of corruption that just seems so explosive that no one could conceivably overlook it anymore. We know he ordered the aid withheld, right? That's confirmed, right? The thing that isn't confirmed is that, you know, he literally said at that moment. (laughs) So a lot will turn on Sondland, right? Because think about how thin the reed is that this entire hearsay thing sits, sits on. It sits on the idea that Sondland said in incredibly lawyered up language, I presumed that the aid was being withheld that the aid would be released, right? Mm -hmm. Now, just think how spectacularly absurd it is, the idea that Sondland, who's been taking direction from Trump and Giuliani throughout this entire thing, who has been on the phone with Trump, we now learn, right? Mm -hmm. Who's been on the phone with Rudy Giuliani. The texts show he was carrying out a lot of the plot as being at the direction of of the the kind of higher-ups running the corrupt scheme, right? How ridiculous is it that suddenly Sondland would freelance the entire, the most corrupt act of the entire thing out of nowhere. It makes zero sense. It's no, I, it, the, the, the issue I, I worry is that Sondland is such a, a non-credible witness at this point because he's already yeah. been caught lying. And it, it, it obviously won't be in good faith. Like, like they did this with Michael Cohen too. He was totally fine until he turned on Trump, and then it's like, oh, well, you lied to, to Congress, so now we can't trust you when you say anything incriminating right. about the president. And so I feel like, you know, to to really knock down that last layer, you need to um, to to get more than at least more than is than is 
already on the on the yeah, agenda, right? And so, for sure. let, but so let's let's talk about that aspect of it. This idea that, um, you know, if if the quid pro quo wasn't consummated, then it's it's water under the bridge. So, um, so who cares? There's there's two aspects of this I want to talk about, um, and the first ties back to the question of obstruction. Um, like it seems pretty obvious to me that if Democrats could get Mulvaney under oath, or even Bolton, as you mentioned, uh, under oath, uh, they would have to say something like, you know, what happened is Trump got caught, right? Like Congress started investigating why the aid was being withheld, and then the whistleblower filed this report, and so the jig was up. Um, and uh, and so then Trump ordered the aid to be turned back on. Um, and there are even like there are even these reports out now that Mulvaney's kind of running around town telling everyone that his job is safe because he knows too much for Trump to be able to fire him. Right? Um, <laughs> he is, he's unbelievable. Right. So um, so do you think that there's any way, um, you know, apart from your totally valid point that it is clearly bullshit um, when Republicans say, you know, the quid pro quo didn't happen. So, you know, there's no problem here. Um, do you think that there's any way that we're going to see this piece of the puzzle come into place during the hearings where it'll be it'll be impossible for them to make that case because we'll know that the aid only got turned back on because Trump knew he was busted? I just don't know if we're going to get to that point, honestly. And frankly, I don't even know if we would get there if we got Mulvaney. I mean, I think that he would have to either <laughs> plead the fifth or 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 cop to it. I mean, it's. I suppose it's you know. Uh, well, let's talk about it. like so. So what? How? What would it look like? Seriously, like how? What would getting it look like? I I, I keep I struggle with this. Oh, I think that it would it would it would. I mean, how, how we get that Trump ordered it turned off is fairly straightforward, right? I mean, he uh, the the whole in, in the conversation with Zelensky. Zelensky asked for the javelins, and he says, "I'd like you to do us a favor, though." It's like right there, like I control those javelins, and you're not getting them. And somebody would just have to attest to that being something that came from the top, and that's already in the in the existing depositions. Is that is that OMB got the order from uh, Mulvaney, who got it from Trump, and that's right. why the Defense Department turned off uh, turned off the aid. How you get that Trump knowing he was caught, or that you know Mulvaney acting on Trump's behalf knowing that he was caught is that you call him, you get Mulvaney or you get one of his underlings in and they say... Like Russell, they, Russell Vaught. Yeah, and, 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 they, and they say, you know, once, once it, things got too hot, we, we relented. Um, and obviously that, that would be huge testimony to get. I, I imagine it's gettable, I mean, in theory. Um, and I worry that if, um, if the, you know, the... Uh, Trump's effort to obstruct the impeachment succeeds, and if um, um, Democrats don't, you know, uh, press their case with subpoenas or contempt or whatever, that we're going to reach the end of this process with those mysteries dangling, and they're to me not such huge mysteries that that they mean Trump should skate on the impeachment. But it's the it's that's that Republicans will hang their whole excuse for exonerating him on the idea. Uh, that well, the quid pro quo didn't happen. You can't prove that it it didn't happen because he got caught. Maybe maybe it just was never really there to begin with. Well, I think actually in the scenario you outline, I still see a way that they would get out of it, right? So basically, even if you were to get um, Mulvaney to say we turned back on the aid because it got too hot, 
the spin would immediately become, well, the fake news media was, you know, inventing the reason for us holding the aid. So that's what made it hot. I think, right? So what you really need above all is the, uh, the motive at the point of turning it off. I'm not sure that flies because they turned it back on um, September 11th, I believe. Yeah. And, and the media didn't start um, getting really interested in the whistleblower complaint until later in September. What really happened around September 11th is the, the White House knew there was a whistleblower around that period. And the White House knew that Congress, the, the three committees in the House That's were, a good start, point. were yeah. starting to look at the – at the question of why the aid got withheld, but that was not a big story in the national media at that point. Like I knew it was happening because I pay way too close attention to all this stuff. But uh, but I, I just I I don't think that anyone would testify to the fact that oh the the media was doing fake news on us and so we turned the maybe aid back on. maybe what they would say is we knew the fake media would do this yeah. fake news media would do, I, I, I do I, that's not that's not that's not where. Um, you end up. That's not where like Cory Gardner goes. You can't eat like, right. I, or, or, or Susan Collins. Goes, well, I right? think there's a reasonable chance that they vote to convict. Possible. I mean, you know, let me take that back. Like a chance, maybe yeah. not a reasonable chance. But I do think that to really get to the point where you want, where they no longer can talk their way out of it, you would have to somehow establish that the act of turning off the aid was motivated by uh, an, an extortion plot. You'd have to confirm that in some way. That I'm not sure how you could get it. I think. I'd like you to do us a favor, though. Well, I agree that we have it there, right? But if that's not enough, what more would you need, right? So potentially maybe Mick Mulvaney saying, t- testifying, um, you know, we discussed turning off the aid because Trump was unhappy, was still angry that, um, that, uh, that the investigations weren't forthcoming. Something as clean as that. All right. I've got to leave it there. Um, but if you're listening, you should check out Greg's Washington Post blog, Plumline. And uh, by his book, An Uncivil War, Taking Back Our Democracy in an Age of Trumpian Disinformation and Thunderdome Politics. Uh, Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. That's it for this week, but a couple things to keep in mind ahead of next week's episode. That aide to Bill Taylor, the one who overheard Sondland briefing Trump on Ukraine's willingness to investigate Biden, his name is David Holmes. Democrats will take his deposition on Friday. They scheduled that urgently because Sondland himself is scheduled to testify publicly on Wednesday. Will Sondland play dumb? Will he refresh his recollection once again? He's going to have to decide soon, and we'll talk about his decision next time.